0: If we have any children who are looking for something to draw in the next 13 to 14 minutes or any adults who like drawing and that's a helpful way of actually listening and engaging with what's going on. Much like last week, maybe we can draw two pictures side by side on a single page. One side, draw a picture of a time in your life when something happened that you did not expect, you didn't see it coming. What were you doing? What happened? What did you feel? how did you respond? And then maybe parallel on the other side, juxtaposed to that one, draw a picture of Mary being interrupted by the angel or gospel reading, basically. What was she doing, do you imagine, when the angel came to her? What happened? What did she feel? How did she respond? wonder if that'd be an interesting reflective piece in this time. When the fullness of time had come, Paul tells us in Galatians, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. True God from true God, and true humanity from true humanity. That is the Christian confession at Christmas. God sent his angel to announce it, we see in our gospel reading, and God sent his Holy Spirit to accomplish it. And as we approach this holy mystery, this holiest of mysteries, I think we have to begin honestly by acknowledging that our tongues are inadequate to the task, (laughs) that our hearts and minds cannot possibly comprehend this infathomable mystery. We need the Holy Spirit to come and loose our tongues. We need the Holy Spirit to come and set our hearts free, that we may enter in. I think of the words of that wonderful hymn, Let all mortal flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling stand, Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. And a couple of verses later, the hymn continues. At his feet, the six-winged seraph, cherubim with sleepless eye, veil their faces to the presence as with ceaseless voice they cry. Hallelujah, 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 Lord most high. See, throughout Advent, we've been looking at the grand story of God, the one true story that defines the world, that defines history, that defines us, who we are and what we are on about. And we've been looking at this one story through the eyes of different characters within the story. We've looked with Isaiah, gazing into the future with hopeful longing for the new creation. We've listened with John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness with eager anticipation for the coming Messiah. And now we ponder with Mary, shocked, stunned at the feet of the angel Gabriel, as he announces that the eternal Son of God is going to place himself in her body, in her womb. No doubt this announcement came as something of a surprise, even a shock to Mary. Life is not often what we expect or anticipate it to be. This was not Mary's plan for her life, surely. And so it's not surprising that within some 12 short verses, Mary is described as perplexed and and thoughtful and afraid, experiencing the full range of human emotion. And she questions and she believes and ultimately gets to this point of humbly accepting her unexpected yet God-given vocation in redemption history. You see, throughout Luke's telling of the story, we're given meticulous detail about the circumstances of this event. The Son of God comes into the particularities of human life. He comes at a particular time, Luke tells us. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's Elizabeth's pregnancy. The Son of God comes in a particular place, Luke tells us. A city of Galilee named Nazareth, kind of a backwater town. No one expected to be king would have come from there. And the Son of God comes to a particular person, Luke tells us, verse 27, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, surprisingly absent from all the particular details that Luke gives us here is anything about Mary that would make us think that she was a particularly noble and noteworthy person. The angel went to her and said in verse 28, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she was wondering what kind of greeting this might be. And then the angel says to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Note the language of favor twice here. There's no comments about Mary's status or her lineage or her pedigree or her piety. All that is talked about is divine favor and the sheer gratuity and originality of divine favor. Doesn't mention anything about Mary that makes makes her particularly deserving of this gift from God. And you can sense that in Mary's response. She's perplexed, like nothing has prepared her for this visit from God. This, this act of loving mercy and extravagance from the divine hand. Here it seems that God's favor brings about a great reversal in worldly estimations of honor and dignity. And we'll see this. Mary sings about it as she responds and prays in her Magnificat. She talks about a God who scatters the proud yet fills the hungry a God who brings down the mighty from their thrones, and yet he he exalts the humble. You see, Mary is not favorable or favored in human realms, and she is not powerful in worldly terms, and yet God favors her. He has chosen her to be the mother of the Lord. He literally has chosen her to give birth to the new creation. And so it seems that for Mary, as for us, Favor is not so much a function of her circumstances or her status in life, but of the role that God has chosen to give her in his redemptive purposes for the world. I think this is a key point for us in this Christmas season. Because if you or I find ourselves in circumstances that we would rather not be in, or that we did not choose for ourselves, It does not mean that we are in a place where we cannot experience divine favor. Mary's gospel is not a health and wealth gospel. See, Mary's assignment from God is an honor that is going to include great struggle. Think about the physical pain of pregnancy. Think about the public shame of pregnancy outside of wedlock. Think about the many sleepless nights ahead wondering, why me? Why now? Mary knows that her life, and not only hers, but the whole world's, is about to be rearranged and turned upside down. Divine favor is mightily inconvenient sometimes. And yet the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Your unexpected circumstances will be pregnant with divine life. And so we catch a glimpse of the gospel that's true for Mary, as it is for us, as it is for the whole Church, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That was the announcement that the angel made to Mary, but it was the significance of this son that must have astonished her even more than the original announcement. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, says the angel, and you will call him Jesus. Remember Matthew chapter 1, Jesus' name significance because it means Yahweh will save his people. He will be great, says the angel. Think of Abrahamic blessings, I will make of you a great nation. Davidic blessings, I will make of you a great king. And he will be called son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And so what we see the angel doing is to the scandal of particularity, there is now matched the scandal of universality. Jesus is portrayed as the long-awaited Davidic Messiah who will sit on David's throne and whose rule will never end. And so Mary is told, not only are you going to have a child, but your child is going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For any of you who know the Hallelujah Chorus in Handel's Messiah, this is the moment for it to come into full force. The Lord God Omnipotent reign. Hallelujah. And Mary responds saying, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answers her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And I find this so interesting. Mary asks this really honest and open and frankly quite understandable question. And yet the angel's answer pushes Mary from the height of Davidic monarchy into the depths of divine mystery. He says, not only is your child going to be king, but he's going to be incarnate deity, the eternal son of God. And it's once again one of those instances where God's answers to our honest questions rarely make our circumstances any less mysterious or our life any more manageable. In Mary's case, it only raises the stakes. It only heightens the tensions. There is no doubt that Mary has encountered the word of the Lord, but the question is, how is she going to respond to this surprising and astonishing word? And I wonder if that's the question for each of us in in this season. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's a season where it's easy for our, our eyes to be consumed, for our hearts to be consumed with our circumstances. How are we going to respond in the midst of our circumstances? And yet it seems here that Mary is showing us that in the midst of our circumstances, God is speaking to us. And the real question that defines our lives is not how are we going to respond to our circumstances, but in whatever circumstances, how are we going to respond to the divine summons, to the divine voice? Mary is our example here. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Notice how she speaks of her identity in relation to the Lord first. And then flowing out of that, let it be to me according to your word, O Lord. May your word to me be fulfilled. See, Mary understands who she is in relation to the Lord. And so she understands what sort of response is befitting to that relationship. Words of of humility and courage, a response of openness and boldness. Mary actively consents to God's vocation in her life and i'm struck by this we don't always receive the gifts that we ask for from the lord we don't always ask for the gifts that god gives us sometimes god speaks and we find ourselves perplexed by what he's speaking we find ourselves confused we find ourselves full of questions and and maybe even afraid sometimes did i hear you correctly lord what would it even look like to obey that word? How? What will this mean for my family and my friends and my future? And I think one of the questions that our passage is presenting to us is not only are we willing to hear the divine voice in the midst of our present circumstances, but how will we respond when we hear the Lord's voice? Oh Lord, says Mary, let it be to me according to your word. It's for this reason that many of our forefathers and foremothers in the faith understood Mary as a sort of new Eve. Where Eve listened to the voice of the serpent, Mary listened to the angel of the Lord. Where Eve grasped and took things into her own hands, took her life into her own hands, Mary waited. She trusted the Lord's good work and timing. Where Eve became the mother of pain and sorrow, Mary became the mother of joy and hope. It's one of the reasons why I have this wonderful Christmas card up here during this Advent season. It's one of my favorites. Susie got it for me a number of years ago. It's a picture. uh, You can see the reflection. It's a picture of Mary consoling Eve. Eve has her hand on Mary's pregnant stomach, and she is be consoled. And the card is Mary's words to Eve. Mary says, my mother, my daughter, life-giving Eve, do not be ashamed and do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us a new day. See, I am with child through whom all will be reconciled. O Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. My brothers and sisters, the King is coming. God is placing himself in human history through the virgin's womb, and all will indeed be reconciled. I speak these things to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.